My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you uh, today. It's a great honor uh, to be a pastor here, so, and, and an honor to celebrate the Christmas season with you. We're in a really, it's been a fun series for me uh, called Nativity. We're looking at, almost like if at home you have a nativity set, it's almost like taking up each character from the set and letting them tell us the Christmas story through their eyes. And so today we're going to talk about shepherds doing youth ministry. We planned a big trip to Wyoming, uh, to the Yellowstone and Teton area, with a group of high school kids. And um, I, I think there's a student or two that were, or not students anymore, but you were then here, um, that were on that trip. And so um, we stayed at a place that was owned by Christians. They fed us. They gave us a place to sleep. And then there was somebody that linked us with things you could do in the Tetons. So like whitewater rafting and hiking. And one day we were rock climbing. And so as far as I can remember, nobody in our group had ever rock climbed. And so we went to an outfitter. And um, we were just waiting there. We were the group from Iowa waiting to see who our guide was going to be. And so I'll have to be honest, like I'm scowling around to kind of see, oh, who's going to be our guide? And so since then, um, there's a friend of mine in the Devil's Lake area named Steve Higgins. Everybody just calls him Higgins, that runs a Christian outfitter that does rock climbing. I was looking for a guy like Higgins, like he's kind of lanky and strong, and he's got long hair, and he's got all the gear, you know, he's tan, and so I was looking for a guy like Higgins to come and emerge to be our guide, and so finally I said, um, excuse me, we're the group from Iowa, who's our guide for the rock climbing? And this man stepped out, uh, he was very short, he, it was summer, we're all in shorts and t-shirts, he had a turtleneck sweater on, and he stepped forward and said, I'm Herbert. And so I honestly, like the kids are like, <clears throat> I was like, shh, no, stop, you know, stop, stop. It's like, okay, hi, Herbert. Um, do you know who our guide's going to be today? And so I, I am your guide. And so again, so Herbert gets in the van and we drive to wherever we're climbing and like, you know, you, you know, the kids are kind of, <clears throat> it's like, stop, stop. Uh, but I, I have to be honest, like I was thinking, oh, great, how come we got Herbert, right? And so, so we get to the place where we're climbing, and again, none of us, I don't think any of us had ever climbed, and so people were going up in different routes, and there was one of our students in particular that just took to this. Like he, in fact, after this, got his own gear, uh, spent a couple summers helping an outfitter, like, but I think this might have been the Herbert moment that got our, our, some of our students really into rock climbing. So there was one time, Herbert was great. Like, he's teaching everybody the tricks. He's great with beginners. But one of our guys was quite a ways up a rock and, you know, not sure what to do with his next hold. And Herbert just just very quietly just climbs up the rock. Like, no rope, no, like, and we're all just, like, in awe of Herbert, like, going up and doing his thing and helping the guy get to the next climb. And so I'll have to admit, like, I completely was guilty of overlooking Herbert, okay? And so, so you guys probably have some Herbert moments in your life too, right? Where you, for whatever reason, sized somebody up or just, like, didn't expect much from somebody for whatever reason. And so uh, you, you probably have your stories like that too. And so what we're going to see as we study the shepherds is that the shepherds would have been so easily overlooked by anybody in Jesus' day. So I hate to break this to you, but if you were ever the shepherd in a Christmas pageant, maybe you thought it was awesome because you got the curved stick or you got to be around the animals, but trust me, like in Jesus' day, nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Like you got stuck with that job, okay? And so, but what we're gonna see is that the shepherds are really in this Christmas story 
to teach us or remind us of a powerful message that God loves the outsider, that God has his eyes on those who are on the outside. And that's good news for all of us because whether we know it or not, we are all outsiders, okay? Sorry to break that to you, but you, you are. So, but let's, um, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read Luke chapter 2. I'll read it, but you're standing. We're going to give honor and respect to the Word of God here. And again, this is the Christmas story that is so maybe familiar to some of you, but what I'm asking you to do this morning as we read the story is especially to look at the shepherds, okay? Let the shepherds teach us about the Christmas story today. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, thank you for this season. We celebrate you coming, and we celebrate this story that is captured for us in this Gospel of Luke. And God, thank you for the lessons you have for us this morning about your heart for the outsider, your heart for the shepherd. So teach us today lessons from the pasture. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can grab a seat. All right, so the first point, pretty simple outline, is that God sees the outsider. God loves to show his glory to the outsider, and that God loves to send the outsider to proclaim his praise. All right, so um, let me ask you, parent, if you're a parent here this morning, or if you are married and you uh, um, go back to the time where you proposed or received a proposal, or those of you that have jobs, like the first time you got a big job, okay? Who did you call first? Like when, who was on your call list when it came to be baby time or when you got engaged or when you got landed that big job? Who'd you call first? What is so cool about the first one on God's call list when his son was born was the shepherds. The first ones to get the announcement from the angels was the shepherds. Right away you see that God has a heart for the outsiders. So I mentioned earlier that if you were the shepherd in a play, you did not get a role that was popular in Jesus' day. Okay, if you were a shepherd, you were an outsider for so many reasons. 
So first of all, just in general, shepherds were not esteemed. If you were a shepherd, you were not allowed to testify in a court of law. You were not considered trustworthy just because of your occupation. And then from a religious and spiritual standpoint, because of their occupation, a lot of times shepherds were excluded from uh, the religious ceremonies where you would go to have your sins cleansed in the system in that day. And so, and so just by nature of what they did and their work schedule, they could not access, and because they were around animals, they could not access the religious ceremonies. And so for a multitude of reasons, shepherds were just considered to be on the outside. And I would just imagine even uh, socially, like your social life is maybe with a buddy and then a bunch of sheep right? And so those lonely nights where you're out there watching sheep and maybe you can hear, you know, the laughter and the conversations coming from the villages around you, but there you are kind of stuck alone with the sheep. It is really awesome that when good news of great joy for all people was announced that these were the first ones to hear the message. And so you know this isn't just a nice-sounding motto, good news, great joy for all people. Like, this is legit, because if you want to consider all people, you're, you're, if you're including shepherds, you're including all people. And so that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love. God sees the outsider. And that is a really good thing for us. It's not like Luke wasn't aware of any other people Jesus could have gone to. If you look at the beginning of chapter 2, Luke mentions Caesar Augustus had, you know, had established a decree for a census. It was a time when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So Luke was well acquainted with all the big shots of the day, but he made it really clear to us that the first ones to hear the message about Jesus being born was the shepherds. And so that's good news. That's great joy for all of us. God's love doesn't discriminate. And God doesn't leave people out. His message is available to anyone. So let me ask you this. Where do you feel like an outsider? Like when you just step into a place or around certain people, like where do you feel like an outsider? I've got two places that come to mind for me. One is Hobby Lobby. Like I don't, oh, I step into Hobby Lobby and I just get a headache. Like I don't, I just don't know what I'm doing there. Like I don't, I'm not drawn to baskets. I'm not drawn to fake plants. I'm not, maybe I had a horrible experience in art class and was shamed or something because of my projects or my first sculpture that I was proud of, something deep laden in there. But I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like I belong in Hobby Lobby. And so, but I find myself, I'm trapped because I've got two daughters that I love like crazy. And so if an opportunity ever comes like, hey, dad, do you want to go just run some errands or do you want to shop? Like, it's like the answer is yes. But then I realized like where that may take me. And so like another example, I'd say another place and there's all kinds of stores and they all blur for me. But there's one that's forever 21 is another place that, that again, I don't go there, just me, but it's like on this, like, so where I got the most hoodwinked one time was like I did senior trips uh, with the girls. And so one senior trip, I heard the first part of it, like, what if we go up near Minneapolis and ski? Like, I heard that part. And then, but what I overlooked was, and then maybe we could swing by the Mall of America. And so I didn't really grab that part as much as the first part. It was like, oh, it'd be awesome just to be together. Let's go do that. And so legitimately, she gave me four or five hours of skiing. That was good. She did a great job. But it's like, yeah, let's just head over to Mall of America now. Guys, did you know there's three levels of that thing? And I wish we, I wish we had kept track because like, I think we hit them all. Like I think we went all the way around and this is what blew me away the most. 
I think, I'm pretty sure, Bethany, correct me if I'm wrong, like I think that Forever 21 there has two levels. Like they have an escalator. Like I didn't know you, they had that much stuff that they needed that big of a place. So I just feel really out of place there. Okay, so I'd love to hear yours if you've got some places you feel out of place. But here is the bottom line that when I see in the Bible people who, uh, for whatever reason, find themselves in the presence of God, they instantly fall on their face. Like one guy, Isaiah the prophet, when he was in the presence of God, the words that came out of his mouth were, woe is me. Like for any of us just on our own to stroll into the presence of a holy God, we are the epitome of an outsider. We do not belong. And that's, that's interesting because if you look at the whole story of the Bible, we were created by God. We are created in his image. First, the first chapter in the Bible says God created male and female, and then the first thing he did was bless them. All they did was show up, and he was good to them. Like, that's the God we worship and love, and yet you read a couple more chapters in Genesis 3 that in spite of God loving us, we have rebelled against him. We have, in a variety of ways, rejected what he's told us to do. We don't treat people the way we're supposed to treat them. We don't honor him as God. There's so many symptoms of our rebellion that what has happened is we have cut ourselves off from a holy God. And so now we are the epitome of an outsider. When you look at a holy God and you look at sinful people like us, we do not belong in the presence of God. And yet the continuation of the Christian story is that God sees us in that condition and he doesn't just walk away. He doesn't roll his eyes at us. Like he pursues us. Like he loves us in spite of our rebellion. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or Jesus, later in his life, we're celebrating his birth here. But he said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save lost people. Not just to kind of roll his eyes at them or not to tolerate them. But he pursues us. And that is exactly what you see happening in the whole Christmas narrative. That's Jesus coming to earth to be born, to be our Savior, to pursue sinful people like us. But you even see it played out here in this reaching out to the shepherds, making sure they knew what was going on. The outsiders were welcome in. And so the Gospel of Luke especially is just brimming with this theme that God loves to make sure those who feel and, and everybody assumes is far away from God, actually is loved by God and pursued by God. Um, Luke is the gospel that has the story of the lost sheep. You know, the guy that had, had 100 sheep, and 99 of them were doing just fine, but one was gone. And the shepherd went and pursued the one, and that reflects the heart of God. And you may have heard this before, but I, this is several years ago now, but when I was doing premarital counseling uh, with a couple uh, this woman up until this point was just very kind and sweet. But we read this story to show what the love of God is like that we need to have in a marriage. She just got mad. And she said, I hated that sheep. It's like, what, what are you talking about? And she told me that she used to raise sheep, uh, her dad did, in southern Iowa. And so when she would 
you know, be with the flock. There was, she said there was always one, and he was so, such a jerk. Like, he would just always do his own thing. Like, he would just not do anything we wanted him to do, and I just, I hated that sheep. And to me, that just illumined that story because I always pictured the one was like this innocent little, like, following a butterfly and just happened to get distracted and lost, and that poor shepherd had to go find the poor. Like, most likely, that, that lost sheep is a punk, is a rebel. It was just, like, defiant and gone. And yet, even in spite of that, that shepherd goes and pursues. I don't know if that's exactly what Jesus in mind, but that's an amazing description of us, that we, we don't just kind of drift away from God, that when we sin and we rebel, that's usually with a whole heart, that we're just, God, I don't care what you say. God, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do my thing, not your thing. That's the essence of sin. And yet, the essence of the love of God is that he pursues uh, sinners. He pursues us and he has an eye on the outsider. That is awesome. There's a pastor in Nashville named Ray Ortland, and listen to, I don't know if he still does, but for a while, this was how they opened their services with this statement. He would say this, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. That statement is absolutely true for me this morning. I am so glad that any of us are here who are seeking God, regardless of your past, regardless of why you might think you're an outsider to this place or the presence of God. You, we are worshiping a God who loves the outsider, all right? So God sees the outsider, and the next, the next thing we see is that God loves to then show them his glory. And so if I can just recap what we read earlier, uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So the angel appeared, and we talked about this last week. That was a fun sermon to just look at what does the Bible teach about angels. That's what we did last week. And so the angels were amazing, compelling uh, creatures that God made with very glorious creatures, very strong uh, creatures. And so we talked about how so many times when an angel would come to earth and speak to people, the first words they'd have to say is fear not, just because their presence was so imposing. And so, and so you see that going on here too. Um, but then again, just to these, these outsiders coming into the presence of the glory of God, the instant response was fear. Fear. I think not just at, at the angel and the imposing part of the angel, but just in the presence of the glory of God, there was great fear. And so um, I think what I would say this morning is that fear is a great symptom of being cut off from the presence of God, okay? So when you are not connected with God, and we'll talk about how that happens, but when you are, are not sure how you are standing with God, your life will be filled with fear, okay? And so that's exactly what's happening to these shepherds, these outsiders. They are filled with great fear. But what the angels say to them is, behold, I want you guys to look and see a Savior, Christ the Lord, that this is the glory of God. 
that God shows his glory to the outsider by pointing us uh, to the Son, to Jesus Christ. Okay, so glory can sometimes be uh, a religious term we just kind of toss around. Uh, glory would be something that makes a person or an event magnificent or great or something that would bestow honor to someone. Or if someone would say, this is my glory, you could almost say, this is my boast. This is what I am most proud of. And so what God would say out of all of his creation that his glory, like what he is most excited about, most like um, boastful about in a good way, would be his son, Jesus Christ. Because when you look at Jesus, you see the essence of who God is. You see, you see love, you see mercy, you see grace, you see strength and power and righteousness. Like all is put on display through Jesus Christ. So the glory of God appeared and the angels said, look, behold, our Savior Christ the Lord has come to you. And so when the outsider sees and embraces the glory of God, the gospel, that's when fear is removed because it is the glory of God to bring sinners back into relationship with him through the work of Jesus Christ. Because this is what Jesus did for us on the outside, is that Jesus himself became the ultimate outsider. Jesus, if you don't know much about his life, he lived a perfect life, and he willingly, willingly died for us on a cross. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross, we are told in the historical record that he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for those moments when Jesus was on the cross, he took your sin and my sin and the rebellion of this world and put it on himself. He's offering to exchange our sin, our, the judgment we deserve, the death we deserve because of that, and in its place, give us his life. But for those moments on the cross when he was feeling that rejection from his father, crying, why have you forsaken me? to become the outsider so that those of us who truly are outsiders could be ushered into the presence of God so that we could be restored to a relationship with our creator who loves us and who and that when we sin and we broke that relationship with him he moved toward us in his love through the gospel through the good news of what Jesus did for us on the cross and God loves to show the outsider his glory through what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so what's interested then, like I said, when you're cut off from the life of God, what emerges from your, from your life is fear, okay? And this can be true for us, even those of us who call ourselves Christians, we say we believe in God, we say that God is in our lives, but yet anytime we're reflecting fear, all we're doing is, is reflecting that we are not trusting in or that we are cut off from the life that God is giving us. So, and I think that's just a natural response of an outsider. We'll fear rejection because we don't understand the love of God. Like when you understand the gospel, you know that God loves us. In spite of our sin, Christ died for us. But anytime we're afraid of rejection, we're forgetting that if God is for us, who can be against us? Or anytime that we are afraid of bad news, we're afraid of bad things coming our way, or maybe we find ourselves in the middle of hardship, we forget that Christ is Lord, that he is in charge, that anything that's going on in our lives is coming through his filter of love, and that any hardship that is in our lives, he can completely manage and use for his good. And so we don't have to fear 
But again, when we're cut off from this life that God has given, that's a natural response. Or, or the fear of the future, the fear of death. If we are afraid of death, we forget that Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord, that he's the one that conquered our greatest enemies of sin and death. So we really have nothing to fear when we are uh, just embraced by the glory of God and the gospel of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You guys, I had a beautiful picture of that reality yesterday. There are some things that I get to do and see as a pastor, as your pastor, that just um, I wish I could capture and show. But let me just tell you that yesterday I had the honor of doing a memorial service for um, Emily Strabola. Some of you may know her as that name. Her maiden name was Reese. So Emily Strabola Reese. And when I uh, came to Parkview as a youth pastor, she was uh, a leader with our junior high students, and she was the first part-time intern that we hired here. She was a city high grad, played basketball, was a phenomenal athlete, um, but in much greater ways, had a real passionate love for Jesus and for students, and pointed many students to Jesus through her words and her life. So um, fast forward, she died about a month ago, and she lived out west for a majority of her adult life, and uh, she battled colon cancer for eight years. And so there was a service um, in Reno, her hometown, but there was a service yesterday here because so many of her family and uh, high school friends were here. So in that service, her sister Laura, if you know Emily and then Laura Millard is now, just two amazing sisters, like two amazing women, very strong, fun, straight shooting. Like you know where you stand. Like those are just great times, great conversations when you're around Emily and Laura. And so Laura was giving honor to her sister's life yesterday in this service and describing what it was like. So Emily's motto, the one who died, her motto was live life, love life, and impact others. And she had quite a following in Reno, and she influenced many lives. And so sister Laura got to go be with her dying sister for 40 days before she died. And Laura was just recounting times that people would come uh, to give comfort to Emily at the end of her life, but they would be the ones leaving comforted. Um, Emily was just uh, so uh, confident in what was coming for her next. She, she talked about it as going home. And so when she would say goodbye to people, she'd say, see you soon. Like death was not something she feared. She was ready for death. She faced death head on. She was not afraid to die. And so even then as Laura talked about, and you have to kind of know these two women and just watching them grow up and the way they talk to each other. I mean, there's a lot of humor between them too, even in the last days. So towards the end, Emily could only eat three foods. One of them was life cereal. And so I guess one morning Laura walked into the kitchen and there's Emily eating life cereal and said, you know what? You can eat as much of that as you want. It's not going to work. It's not going to help. Like just kind of that kind of humor. And so not to discuss some of you, but Emily also had a penchant for potty humor, and so it was appropriate as in the sovereignty of God that one of her doctors caring for her colon cancer, this is no lie, was named Dr. Krapko. So, and so they were putting that out there as well. And, so, and so, so Laura just beautifully honored her sister's life in a very real, strable way that only they could do. And then I had the privilege of talking about the resurrection and there's hope after death and all that. So at the end of this service, uh, a, a, we're just hanging out afterwards. A guy came up to me, a little taller than me, and he was already crying. And he said, I, I haven't been to anything like that before. I said, I'm really sorry. He's like, no, no, no. Like, it was, it was powerful. And um, 
He said, especially the way you guys were talking about death. He said, I don't believe everything you were saying yet, but I could not believe the way that Laura and her sister were, were talking about death. And then he opened up to me that he has a friend right now who's just beginning treatment for colon cancer. And he said, if I could just take that hope that you guys have and give it to my friend, I would. Uh, and that's something we made up. Like that's something that comes only from Jesus Christ and the glory of what God has done through him to outsiders like us. So God sees outsiders. God loves to show his glory to outsiders. But then God loves it when these outsiders then embrace his glory and just go praise his name. That's what God loves. And so we saw that so clearly in the angel story. Again, if I could just refresh us on what the shepherds did. So the angels went away and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened uh, that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they'd been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds were entrusted with this amazing news. And it is so awesome to see their response. Let's go check it out. They were amazed at what they saw. They just couldn't help but to talk about what the angels said. And then they go home and they just couldn't help but to talk about who God is and what God was doing. I think that is what God loves to see in his people. And I wonder, I wonder, you guys, if that's one reason why God loves entrusting this message of the gospel with the outsider. You know, I, I wonder if this message had come to Caesar or Quirinius, the governor of Syria, if they might have looked at their schedule and said, you know what, I got a lot going on today. That's interesting, but I don't think I have time to go. Check that out. I'm pretty busy right now. Or, oh, that's just like one of those Hebrew myths. That's just one of those, I don't really need that. Like, but when God reveals his glory to people who are broken and hungry and alone and isolated and afraid, uh, there's an intention there. There's a hunger there. There's a response that God loves to see. And so here's the point, really, again, if we square ourselves up with God, <laughs> every one of us is an outsider, Right? So every one of us is broken and separated and alone and tend to be afraid and all this. We all need the good news that God is giving us. So really, this should be a response of all of us that we embrace what God has said, what he says. And then when we see that actually what he says is true, then we'll just talk about it. Like that would be, you would think, a natural response. But I heard an expression, I really like it. I wonder if for some of us, our praise button is stuck. Like, the praise button just isn't working. And you got to stop and say, why? Like, honestly, if you could look over the last couple weeks, if you hear transcripts, read transcripts of your conversations, like, how many times did you just naturally just give praise to God? You know, and so if, if it's been kind of silent or dormant, I just, I think <laughs> there's two options. One is that God has had a bad couple weeks. Like, God just hasn't, really been doing his thing. He's kind of in a slump. You know, maybe he's getting a little tired of the God thing. His career's waning. Like, trust me, that's not the, the problem, okay? God is God. God is not taking a break. God is doing amazing things. So the problem is going to be on our side. And so 
And so why? Why are we not praising him? I would say, guys, um, a couple things could be going on here. Number one, I, I think we could forget that we're outsiders. I think we can forget how desperate we are. Um, I think this is especially true for any of us that have been Christians for a while, any of us that have gone to church for a while, that our focus can often become on, on what we do and how good we are. And look how long I've served. Look how long I've done this. Look at all that I do. Look at how faithful I've been. Because then what happens is that we kind of look around for praise, not for God, but for us. Like, wow, look how faithful he is. Wow, look how long she works. Wow, how long she's been. Like, that is so twisted. And that's, that could be one reason why um, the praise isn't flowing. Like, we're just kind of waiting for praise to come this way and not go that way, okay? Um, it could be another one that I see in my life is that sometimes, I don't think, we're asking or expecting God to do big things. Like, I was convicted of that. I think if you would read through my prayer journals for a couple months until maybe a couple weeks ago, there's just a lot of routine in there, you know, a lot of just normal stuff until God got my attention about that. And I do this, I've done it in the past, but I've just started, I call it now my audacious list. What are, what are audacious things you could ask God? And that word comes from a parable where Jesus taught us how to pray. He talked about a guy that asked for something with audacity. Like how, how audacious for you to ask God of that. But actually, you know, I think God yawns at some of our prayer requests. God bless the world. Okay, I do that. Next, you know, so by like, what if you asked for big and specific things? What if you honored how great and good God is by asking and telling him of needs in your life or needs that you see around you and you just start documenting those and say, God, I can't wait to see what you're gonna do here. And so when he does that, then you praise his name. And so if you've been in meetings with me the last couple of years, the way I love starting meetings is to just invite that group uh, to begin to praise God. What are you seeing God do? And it trains your eyes to start looking for what God is doing. Because I think the reason God wants his people to praise, um, he loves to hear it. It's a good indicator that our hearts are in the right place. And that's what he cares about the most. Where's your heart? What are you praising? But I also think that praise fires up the team. You guys, when you praise God, you fire people up around you. Like if people have their heads down or they're forgetting who God is and you remind them of something God did, you'll just see heads lift up. People will start looking for God at work. When you gossip, when you complain, you are just sucking energy out of this church, out of your friend group. Like, so don't be that person. Be the person who's seen God at work and given praise for it. That, that. And so, because I think every time God does something and gives you a chance to praise, there's an intended audience. There is somebody in that group that when you begin to praise God, there is at least one person whose ears that is going to especially light up. And for the shepherds, did you notice? Did you notice who was especially fired up? Like in this narrative, who was the person that God especially wanted to fire up in the middle of this story? Did you catch it? Did you catch it that it was Mary? You know, that when the shepherds went, can you imagine Mary? Like she's 16, 16. Uh, she's just traveled a long way. She's away from home. She's had a baby. She's in a barn. Uh, she's bearing the son of God. Like, and she's, you know, there's all kinds of scandal around this story. Do you think somebody might have used a word of encouragement in this story? And can you imagine her just having this baby? Then all of a sudden, 
into this barn or cave or wherever she was, these shepherds just come piling in. Like my first response would be, what in the world are these guys doing here? And so, but then they come and they're faithful to give praise to God. And they just talk about everything they heard, everything the angel said, that we're going to go and we're going to see a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's the Savior, Christ the Lord. Can you just imagine how empowering that was to Mary's heart? Like, yeah, I, th- I think I heard all that from an angel several months ago, and I think God's going to be faithful, and I trust him, and I'm, I'm his servant, but wow, what an affirmation that after having this baby, these shepherds come and just say, God just told us some awesome stuff. Mary, this is amazing. And so you notice in that, what I just read to you, everybody kind of like, oh, wow, that's cool. But Mary pondered the words in her heart because she especially, she especially needed to be reminded that God was at work that God was using her. So you guys, God's, God's plan would be that we're all outsiders. He would love to show himself to you. He would love to show He would love for you to realize that as a broken, needy person, when God shows you something awesome, that's a prime chance for you to go and to give him praise. And that when you do that, and do the same. And people and more and more people are drawn to Jesus through an outsider like you. That's, that, that's awesome. And so I, I thank God for a church that um, I see this played out in individual lives. And when our staff starts with those praise times and I hear stories about different ones of you and what you're doing, that's just like, that is so awesome, God, that you are using your people. And so let me say this too, that to us as a church, um, you, you guys in general have been a church that has heard this message and reflected this message that there are people on the outside that need to know this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's why 20 plus years ago, you know, where maybe some people in Iowa City having university in town means that I can't go downtown during two chunks of the year because all those students just walk in front of my car. But, but you guys were a church that saw that as an amazing opportunity to get the gospel out. And so over the years of 24-7, how many hundreds maybe thousands of students who are now walking with Jesus because this is a church that doesn't just think about here, but you think about the outsider. Or it was 15 years ago where, or more when Best Buy moved to where it is and there's this vacant space and we had a little bit of relational capital going in an area of town where if you drew a six-block radius, 80% of the poor in our city lived. And you guys as a church saw that opportunity to rent some space in what used to be Best Buy, turn that thing into the spot and have a meeting ground where some of the the poorest of the poor in our county could build relationships with folks from here. And through that, that relationship, we've been amazingly blessed as a people to learn to get to know other people that by God's grace, hopefully the gospel is gone to some of these families in need. And another place where that has reached out to is a part of Iowa City that is incredibly skeptical about you because of what you believe, they say. They just assume you don't care about certain groups of people, and yet when they see God's people move in humbly to reach the outsider, you, you turn heads, again, not toward us, but toward Jesus. And so, and so the whole thing of having a spot, of that growing into Faith Academy, is just another example of you guys having a heart for the outsider and the way that your outreach to parts of this world, that there are 40 global workers here that, that you guys support that go out and take the gospel 
literally to the ends of the earth. This, this church is, we're not a perfect church, you guys. You, you could, okay, we know that. So, but we are a church that is uh, trying to follow this pattern, this lead of a God who's been gracious with us on the outsiders. So I'm gonna say a couple things that if you are new with us today, I just echo what Brent said. We are so glad you're here. I'm going to talk a little bit of money. So it'd be kind of like you're at a kid at a best friend's house and the dad starts talking about the family budget. That can be awkward. Okay, so, so if you're visiting here, don't worry about this. Just kind of ma, 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 and just go. But let me just say a couple things to our family here. As we strive to be a church, it just models this. A couple things. Number one, as a church, God has called us to do some bold things. We are not typical. When I travel and I'm in pastor conferences, and I talk about, oh yeah, we've got a school that is 90% funded mostly by our church for students that otherwise couldn't afford a private education. I don't hear a lot of churches going, oh yeah, we got one of those. I, I don't, okay? Or hey, we've had an outreach center in one of the um, poor areas of our county for like 15 years, and uh, now we've planted our first multiple site there. I don't hear a lot of churches going, oh yeah, yeah, we did that. Too. Like, in fact, it doesn't make any sense to a lot of people. You plant your first site in a place where you're going to generate a lot of revenue. And so that, that really wasn't on our thought pattern there, okay, for our East Campus. And so um, we've set out to do something bold as a church. And in this first six months of a 2020 vision, there are some amazing examples of generosity in this place. So, uh, there are some pockets here that have just gone amazingly bold with their giving because outside of the budget giving just to here is around three quarters of a million dollars in like six months you guys that is amazing all right that is, that is astonishing and so so very grateful for that um, there's some other things though as as our financial folks are are informing me and as we're making plans moving forward is that our overall giving has still not however increased to the point that we need to 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 meet this bold move that god is calling us to do and so as we're looking at end of the year, as we're looking at stepping into a 2019 where we get a chance to set new budgets as a, a family, and as we consider what God is calling the church to do, it's an invitation, uh, you guys, to reflect the heart of our God who has blessed us in so many ways, who has modeled for us sacrificial giving, and he's inviting us into the joy of that. And so, and so as we, and again, I don't know names and I don't know a lot of this, um, but I'm told that there are some amazing examples of generosity toward this. And so for, if that's you guys, I just, man, there's just a big hug, fist bump, like whatever you're comfortable with, like thank you, praise God for you. And as your pastor, I'm just super excited about what that means is going on in your own heart. Like that's, that's way more important here is that, is that we're responding to who God is and what he's offering you and that you're seeing the place that money plays in that versus the place of mission in the gospel. Like that's awesome. And so I'm also told that there is a pretty significant number in that six-month window um, that would call themselves members and attenders and all this that have given, like, nothing, nothing to, like, either. Um, and, like, the overall towards the 2020 vision is very small. And so I look at that and go, okay, well, I'm, I'm honestly, I think I'd give the same response. Like, there'd be a hug or, like, a fist bump or, like, a, hey, let, let's go. Like, I think you're missing on what God is inviting you into. And I've shared before, like if there's, I need to model this for you as, as a leader. I can't just tell you to be generous and not be. And so our family has 
has tried to be very aggressive in giving. And so when this opportunity came for 2020 Vision, we just ratcheted that up even higher. And God has still been faithful. And so my, my encouragement from, again, I'm not a perfect man in that area, but, but what we have done, God has been very, very good to us. And so, and so I just invite you into that, that there is an um, invitation from our Lord, that there is so much joy that comes from when you let go and when you give and when you model what he's done for us. When you're God who sees the outsider, who desires to see the outsider have uh, experienced the glory of the gospel, and then how that results in praise to God. Like when you get to be a part of that with the stuff God has already given you, it's already his, um, then, then there's amazing joy in that. And so uh, tomorrow, just kind of look, we just kind of want to give a more detailed update and there'll be some links about how you could do end of the year giving or how you could set up like 2019. But guys, just God has done amazing things in this church in the past. And I do believe he's calling us to to big things in the future. So just encourage you to be in prayer about that and let's just watch what God could do when we all, we all come together. So as I wrap up our morning, um, what I'd like to do is just read over you three verses from the Bible. And so if you could just kind of go into a posture of prayer right now and a response to God, again, about the whole theme of the morning is that we were outsiders, that God showed his glory to us and God is inviting us now to praise him uh, let, me, let me just read a couple of verses. In Psalm 78, it says this, God chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheep pens, from following nursing ewes, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them, and he guided them with skillful hand. God, I thank you that you're a God who raises up leaders like King David from the sheep pens. Like, you can raise any one of us up this morning because you see us, you show us your glory, and God, you give any one of us a chance to respond to you and then be used by you. And so God, I just pray you would do that throughout this room. And I think of this verse too, that the eyes of the Lord room throughout the earth so that he can strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And God, as your eyes move through this room this morning, may you see outsiders, but may you see people who are hungry and broken and eager for you to speak and show your glory to us so that we can respond and enjoy what you're giving us and then sing your praise. So God, as you look through the room, may you just see students and men and women just ready, ready, looking for you to show us great things so that we can praise your name. And God, would you just continue to bless this church as we desire to just model what you've done for us in this city and around the world. God, thank you that you see the outsider, that you show us your glory, and you give us the chance to sing your praise. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.